Welcome to Tech Talk, where we chat with influential technology founders in the SaaS and Web3 NFT crypto space. I'm your host, Nick Roche, CEO at AdMRR and ComGrow, where we scale technology companies' community and cash flow. Today on the show, we have Kazi Hossein. He's the CEO at Thread. His mission is to onboard 1 billion people to Web3 by building a super wallet that can help you to access your favorite Web3 apps all in one place. Thank you for having me, Nick, on the show. Really excited to be here. We have a great show today because Nick's alive and well and hosting it. <laughs> um, yeah, My name is Kazi and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Thread or the Web3 app store. Okay, perfect, perfect. So uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on Thread? Maybe tell us a little bit, give us an elevator pitch, like what you guys do. And yeah, we'll, we'll go in from there. For sure. So essentially, it's a single point of connection for Web3 apps, where the main problem that we're solving for is the poor UX UI problem in Web3. You know, we decided to dig in into the you know, what we like to call the mom test, which is uh, a soccer mom should be able to easily onboard to Web3 and access dApps, create a wallet um, and start their journey. Um, and we believe that the next 100 million, 200 million billion users is going to come from an infrastructure layer that helps onboard um, all of these non-crypto native people, as we like to say in the business, which is just your everyday folks benefiting from decentralization, from a anonymous manner of transacting um, and just engaging with Web3 apps. Okay, awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I really like that. It sounds like you guys noticed a an issue when it came to accessibility and wanted to build something around to kind of make it a little bit more accessible for people uh, that you mentioned are maybe non-technical and don't know how all this stuff works. So when did you first notice this and when did you decide to take that problem into your own hands instead of just saying, you know what, someone else can build something around this? For sure. So we really um, noticed this December of last year. And um, it's because we have a background in mobile app development. My, myself and my co-founder, we've been doing mobile app development for the last three years now. And um, as a result of that, we saw this huge gap in the market. Um, from my own personal experience of, you know, creating a, a wallet and transferring tokens, transferring coins um, from, for example, like Matic to USDC into a stable US dollar and then wiring it into my account. <laughs> and that whole ordeal was just, it was so painful. And mm -hmm. I would consider myself a technologically literate person and in the know. So I can right. only imagine the hell the average person would get through. Like, there's just no way that they'd even be able to get through all of that to experience all the benefits of Web3. And that's when me and my me and my co-founder, you know, prior to this, we had a uh, Web2 e-commerce uh, platform. Okay. And uh, it was an app with a web app and a mobile app ecosystem. So it was quite intricate. We scaled that business to 30,000 registered users to $10,000 MRR. And then we just saw this huge gap in the market for Web3. And we thought, you know what? Um, in Web3, the 
market is growing at like double digits pretty much right. year on year. And there's this huge gap and our unique skill set can fulfill this need. So why not risk it and help this industry grow and expand? And we're both big believers in crypto and the need for decentralization and anonymity. Beautiful. Okay, cool. So at that point, did you pretty much put the project on hold? Did you sell? Like what kind of happened uh, when you were exiting the e-com and moving, like deciding to go full force with the Web3? Yeah. So with e-com, we saw our margins weren't quite as large as we'd want it to be. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it's product-based at the end of the day for what we were building. Right. And we wanted to get more into the software thing. So, um, you know, we had 300 reviews, 4.8 out of five stars and over an hour nice. of daily engagement time, but we just completely delisted our app from the app store because we didn't want to maintain it any longer and right. dedicate time and mental capacity to that. Yeah, <laughs> um, totally. but we kept all the SEO. So um, that's going to help with our current app. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> Love it. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah. And then I guess like, let's also, let's just like talk a little bit about, cause I believe this is your first year in business, right? With, um, with thread. So yeah. talk, talk a little bit about what that's been like. And I suppose just even some of the other implications in the market, like perhaps any market wins when it comes to crypto, a looming recession, COVID pandemic, like whatever, I guess you think is relevant. Yeah, sure. Um, well, market wins with relevancy to crypto. Um, I would say for our business itself, like you're, you mean like for us, like our wins? Um, yeah, so we have, we can't like officially talk about some of our wins just yet. Yeah, for but, yeah, yeah. Um, we have huge windfalls and new registered users um, that have demonstrated that we have product market fit, essentially. <laughs> and we've had yeah. partnerships with massive enterprise companies, which we can speak on. For an example, we have a great partnership with BigCommerce. We meet with their team almost on a weekly basis at this point. Um, they're very strong partners of ours and, um, you know, helping to guide them on their Web3 journey. We're kind of seen as their, you know, um, I guess just another partner to help them on that journey rather than them investing in a whole Web3 department um, like other e-commerce platforms have. Right. Okay, awesome. And then um, talk to us more about, I guess, just like the first few months. Like, what was that like? More in that, val talk to us about the validation stage of things. Like, how did you really find like, okay, what we're doing, it's more than just an idea. Like now we know we've got a business and we know we're on the right path and we're going to keep pushing this. Sure. Um, we almost like, it was, it was interesting. The moment we pivoted to web three in back in January, like a month after we launched our first product, which was an NFT platform, we saw traction and that was interesting for us. Um, because in web two, we had to do a, a lot more work to see any kind of traction. Web3, because it was such a new, it's such a new space, um, you'll immediately realize value. And also because we're in the middle of a bull market for Web3 as well. So there was a lot more interest. So there's a lot more mm -hmm. traffic as a result. Um, the moment we, the first month we launched, you know, in inbound traffic, um, like literally Samsung reached out to us. It was really cool, uh, right wow. on our landing page. Um, to understand what we do and our value. So that was interesting. Just 
folks that you would have yourself like kind of scratching your head, like, well, why are they reaching out to me? <laughs> Just because there weren't, there isn't that many experts in the space, right? So it's kind of easier to win in that regard. Um, how, so that was one kind of like signal for us that maybe we're in the right direction. And then we secured our partnership with Big Commerce. That was a big step forward for us. Um, we didn't even imagine that this would have been possible just a few months beforehand when we were still in, uh, when we were still an e-commerce platform ourselves. We couldn't have imagined that. But, you know, one Saturday morning, we're on the whiteboard and we're discussing new revenue pipelines. And, you know, Arda, my co-founder just mentioned, you know, he, uh, he had access to big commerce in, in his network. And then we just created a piece of copy. It was engaging and, uh, they responded positively. And then next thing you know, we got the whole board on a meeting. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, cool. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, typically a lot of people don't see huge enterprise clients come into their pipeline inbound if, within such a short amount of time of having been in business. So that's really amazing. I can see why that definitely propelled you guys to feel like, yeah, we're definitely on the right path. Let's continue down this path and like keep pushing. So that's, uh, that's phenomenal. Yeah. What but I want to be clear though, that yeah. wasn't what we didn't stop innovating. Mm -hmm. That happened and that was great. And we got a great win out of that. And that helped our morale and our position as experts, but we kept pushing the boundaries. So Mm -hmm. uh, one thing about us is that we ship very quickly because we don't really sleep that often. <laughs> right. We're always shipping product. We're always discussing amongst ourselves, like how can we innovate on this X, Y, Z? Um, and how can we take the market by storm? That's something we just do for fun. Like we're constantly talking about business. Um, I'll, I'll take a call from the shower, you know, <laughs> like that's just like the passion that we have for the space. And um, as we were, um, developing our product, you know, we noticed that other, you know, kind of copycat products were coming into the space as well. And, you know, because initially we were an NFT platform, <laughs> that's how we started off. Yeah. And a plugin. But then we just, we would constantly get on calls with clients, constantly get on calls with venture capitalists. And from there, we get pretty much free consulting in a way from our clients telling us what they need, um, from venture capitalists telling us their views on the market and the investments that they're doing and where they see the market. You know, when you, when you get like maybe four or five VCs telling you no on a product, that could just be a coincidence or, mm -hmm. you know, they're having a bad day, et cetera. But if you're getting 30, <laughs> you should listen. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. You know? So we listened, we listened to the market. We listened to, VCs, we listen to friends, trusted advisors, and that's how we pivoted our product into now a protocol and a deep tech infrastructure layer and into an app store. Right. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so I, th I think that's really key as well that you that you mentioned that because it's very easy to kind of give yourself a pat on the back, especially having such a major win like that. It's easy to pat yourself on the back and be like, great, we're doing really cool things, you know, we're on the right track, but at the end of the day, if you stop there, then that's where you kind of you're, you're done, right? You can't yeah. you can't ever stop that innovation. So I love that. Um, what would you say? Like, how do you see the the next short term? Like, let's say six or twelve months. Like, do you see continued innovation, or do you see yourself 
being a little bit more stable and sticking on the path that you guys have already carved out? We're still on the path, absolutely. Um, this is what we are now. We're a deep tech infrastructure layer, but mm -hmm. we'll continue to innovate on our tech to make it better. But our overarching value statement will stay the same. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Um, and so I'm curious, like going from a web two environment to like moving into web three, what has that been like? And, and what would you, I guess, like if you have any advice for anybody trying to do the same thing, what would you, what would you say to them? I'd say, I mean, it takes a lot of um, education on your part. If you're looking to transition from web two to web three, you have to educate yourself on, you know, the language. It's a whole new language of coding solidity. We had to learn a new coding language, <laughs> yeah. um, which is cool. Um, but yeah, like number one, I would say you have to be okay with um, adapting and learning because web three is an environment where things change from week to week. In my world, mm -hmm. literally things change week to week. Things have slowed down a little bit now, which is nice um, because right. it's no longer as um, volatile of a bull market. It's, it's slowed down a bit of a pace because we're in a crypto winter, so which is mm -hmm. nice for me. I actually enjoy it because now I don't have to constantly look at my back and like my six o'clock for a new competitor popping up who just got, uh, you know, an F ton of new funding dollars. No, it's now it's more so I can just focus on my product, make it better at my own pace mm -hmm. and yeah, just worry about myself and my people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I really, I really do see value to having these seasons, whether it comes to life or business or both. It's really nice to have those, those different periods. Like sometimes you're really, it's like, it's a hot season. You're just going after things like things are really moving, but at the same time, it's equally, if not more important to have those seasons where you're kind of just dialing in on the back end a little bit more so and focusing on those things to just make things better. So that when that season does come around where you need to be on top of other things that you at least like have invested that time in the right, in the right way. So, um, that's great. But, um, yeah, I mean, so I guess like we didn't really talk a lot about your background, but like, cause you did talk a little bit about technical languages, learning new languages. So like, tell like, what, what's your background? Like, do you have a more technical experience or would you say you're like a non-technical person? Like, tell us about that. Yeah, sure. So I have a computer science background and a finance background. I actually met my co-founder in computer science class at U Ottawa, okay. um, which is cool. And um, I went into the program knowing that I want to develop a software business. And that's where I met him three years ago <laughs> in the in the hallway. We, he was wearing uh, what we call a Canadian tuxedo. And that's just a uh, <laughs> jean jacket and jeans. <laughs> and it was a uh, true religion, jean jacket and true religion, matching jeans. <laughs> so I was like, man, who is this guy? He's not your typical engineer here, you know? So I just approached him and he was sitting down and uh, I'm like, hey man, you look pretty fly. What's up? <laughs> I promise I'm not hitting on you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he just expressed to me that he also has a similar vision that he wants to build a business. He doesn't, in his own words, was he doesn't want to be a quote unquote engineer, engineer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, he showed me his stuff. I showed him mine and we just clicked. And we literally that day we started brainstorming ideas. I, I took the next four days of like 
going crazy, like sticky pad notes all over my room and <laughs> like writing ideas down like a mad person. And then at the end of that week, we literally just went on a phone call and we like banged out our own ideas and my ideas. And we just like saw, okay, this is dumb. This is dumb. This is dumb. Okay. This is good. You know what? This is really good. Okay. Let's do this. <laughs> and that was that. Wow. That's actually a beautiful story. I, re I really like that one. <laughs> that's, uh, that's great. No, that's, that's awesome. Uh, and like, how did you find the synergy? Like, did you feel like from the moment that you met him and you guys were chatting, did you already feel like there was a really positive relationship between you guys that you knew could grow into like a, a really great business relationship? Or did you feel like I need to like suss this guy out a little bit more, see how we like actually work together? Honestly, um, he seemed cool and he was clearly a very smart guy. He had already built some projects. And uh, he sold his first video game by the age of 16. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. Nice. And he knew his stuff. And he, I could tell he takes direction well. Okay. And he was down to go with the flow of the vision. So I, I sold him on the vision pretty much. <laughs> and that's all I really needed. Someone who was dedicated, as dedicated as I am to a vision of building your own business and being the master of your own destiny. Yeah, hundred percent. And so, yeah, in, in terms of the work relationship, like, how would you say that you've split your responsibilities? And like, since you guys are both technical, like, mm -hmm. how do you feel like that ends up playing out in your in your business day to day relationship? Well, we made it very clear um, from the beginning that he's going to be the CTO and okay. I'm going to be the CEO. Mm -hmm. um, that I have final say, I guess, on project like decision making. But like what our roles and responsibilities are, we, we kind of clear that out in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I am more of the business side of things. Um, I kind of overlook the technical. If like they need me, if our developers, for example, need me, I will come down and dig deep. But otherwise, um, I kind of leave it up to Arda for the technical side of things. I kind of give them the design blueprint of what I want to see and how I want it done. And... I leave them up to their own devices on how they want to achieve that. When they need extra resources or they can't figure out a problem, then I'll come in. Like I said, I'll, do, I'll dig deep with them. But otherwise, my role is more so from a CEO perspective of bringing in new business, making sure there's funding coming in, making sure we have partnerships, making sure we have new users, that they're happy, that the people in the business are happy, that our developers are happy. And anyway, we're growing. At the end of the day, that's my, ultimately my responsibility is that we are growing. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Well, as the CEO should, <laughs> yeah. as, as said, right? Got to make good decisions. Um, and so, awesome. And so let's uh, let's make. I think it's key like that everyone, like every business, has someone's neck that they can ring. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm that neck, guys. <laughs> That's, that's good to hear, man. I like it. Um, so let's cover some logistics. Cause I feel like we didn't, we didn't get hundred percent into that. So maybe talk to us about like where you guys are headquartered, how many employees you guys have now? Um, just some, some stuff like that. Yeah, sure. So we're work from home. We're headquartered in Ottawa, Canada. Um, soon we'll be moving out to San Francisco, but right now okay. Ottawa and cool. uh, we have three other developers on the team. And yeah, that's it. We're a very small team. Uh, we just keep it tight knit. Awesome. Okay, sweet. And like, where would you say that you guys are at right now in terms of like whatever metrics you want to share? Could be like your MRR. It could be like your 
you know, churn. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know if this is like 100% applicable with Web3, but these are the type of things we cover with SaaS businesses. So it might be like, I'll leave it open-ended to you, whatever you want. Yeah, sure. So I would say for Q1 of this year, of uh, 2023, we have, because of our newest signed contract, we have 600,000 new users coming in the pipeline. That's the metric we look at. We're not, like we're monetized day one, but our biggest metric is more so onboarding new users. Okay. Yeah. And after that point, it's like, uh, we profit from listed apps on our app store and right. as well as ads, just because it's so targeted, you know, uh, if you're building a decentralized app, you're going to want the most targeted audience of folks who are interested in web three. And that's going to be and in the app store where it's completely frictionless, where folks can literally onboard to your app immediately. Okay, cool. And how does how does somebody go about getting into the app store with Web3? Like for like on an iPhone, you can go into the app store. So how how does it work? How is it different in Web3? So just the infrastructure itself that's required um, for your wallet to connect to the blockchain, um, that infrastructure isn't available on typical Web2 software at the moment, right? Okay. And that's that's a key piece, actually, <laughs> oh, which is literally a connection to the blockchain, reading your keys, and you know, in a uh, encrypted manner, storing those keys elsewhere outside of your wallet, um, and then actually like referring back to the blockchain for how many tokens you own, what assets you own um, that's associated with your wallet. Right. Okay, cool, cool. Um, and I have another question for you. So obviously you're, you're pretty bullish when it comes to Web3. So the question that I have for you is, do you think that at any point in time that Web2 as we know it today will become completely irrelevant? And if so, then when do you think that's going to happen? I don't think, uh, anytime soon, completely irrelevant there's um there's a lot of stuff in web3 that just can't be completely decentralized yet um just because of the limitations of the the computational limitations of the blockchain itself um yeah there's there's stuff that you need like to be server side in a centralized server somewhere like yeah that doesn't necessarily need absolutely to be decentralized not everything needs to be decentralized um, yeah. Yeah. That makes so sense. That's the answer I can give you. <laughs> yeah. So is is your answer then that you you don't think that it's it, that it'll happen at any point? Like do you think that web 2 will pretty much always be around? Not necessarily. Okay. Um because technology is always changing. Mm-hmm. So even cloud computing the way we know it, you know, web 3 kind of it, it takes a chunk away from cloud computing for an example. You know, Google a lot of their businesses in cloud computing and they're entering web three, right? Yeah. We have a partnership with Google. <laughs> uh, they're looking to get ahead of the curve because they see the future. Yeah. Um, so they have a division within Google for web three for that reason. So they can understand, learn and invest in web three projects. They invest right. in web three projects. <laughs> That's actually pretty crazy. 
Um, I, I think a lot of people probably don't know that. That's what they're <laughs> yeah. up to. So it's pretty neat to hear a little bit about the inside of like what's going on with them, with with ma- even some of these major companies, like you mentioned Samsung as well. Like it's really interesting to hear that they're because like I mean Samsung is pretty. They have a pretty vast product range. Like in North America, we primarily know them for phones, but in South Korea, like they're very popular for like all kinds of different appliances that most people don't even know about. So. Even um, um, yeah. centralized storage companies like Dropbox, for example, they're at risk from decentralized storage companies. Right. Um, even there's an Ottawa-based decentralized co- uh, company that, you know, they I think they raised around at like $67 million market cap like for their token raise uh, earlier this year. And they're called Jackal, you know. And so there's um, the beautiful thing about Web3 is that there's, you can look at just about almost any aspect of Web2 and you can have a decentralized version of that Web2 company that would um, provide more value to those existing Web2 clients by offering anonymity on another level that they've never experienced before by cutting out the middlemen on a lot of transactions mm. uh, and benefiting from Web3 tech and you know smart contract technology. Interesting. Like okay, real estate so- is uh, real estate is an example. Uh, yeah. Imagine you can transact a real estate deal without a broker in the middle, without a real estate agent in the middle, without the bank in the middle, yeah. <laughs> without all those fees coming in place. All those fees get shrinked down to zero in Web three. Essentially, that's the main value statement in Web three. Interesting. Yeah. And this is like a little bit off of topic, but like I've even seen some, some NFT projects that have some type of physical, it's tied to some type of physical entity. Like for example, the, the, the real estate, right? Like they have a complex or something like that. You can yeah. own a piece of it and you could even use it for investment or you could use like your, if it's like a shared project, then you can use your days to like take some vacation time or you can rent it out. And, and we're starting to see that a little bit, like it's not fully there, obviously, you know, the main way of, of renting real estate or buying it and selling it is primarily still through those more traditional methods, but I'm starting to see it pop up a little bit more and become more popular. So it's really interesting to see where things are, are going to go over time. And if we are going to see that being adopted in a more mainstream level, like let's say at the level of Airbnb or something like that. I can see that happening. Absolutely. Um, fractionalized real estate with NFTs is a real value statement for um, empowering communities that otherwise wouldn't have access to um, hot real estate deals, for an example. Yeah. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Yeah. And, and we've seen like, even within web two, we're starting to see a little bit of a shift as well. Like there's uh there's a company here in Vancouver called Addy. And they do like fractional real estate. It's just, it's not decentralized. So it's, mm-hmm. it's still kind of in the like web two and just like using whatever Canadian US dollars. And uh, yeah, you can essentially just invest in like a fraction of a, of a piece of real estate. So it's like a group buy. I think you can do yeah. minimum like a dollar or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm seeing that being a lot more popular in the crypto spaces. But this is the first time I've seen it being brought to web two. But it just shows that there is a real demand. And I think that, if we can, because like I've, I've tried out the Addy platform before, it's very, very simple to use. 
But if we could bring the accessibility of something like Addy, as well as the um, the ability to understand and use the platform, and we could bring that accessibility to Web3, I don't see why we would, you know, continue to do things the old way, per se. Exactly. Yeah. And now imagine the value statement of Addy provided to marginalized communities worldwide. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, Absolutely. I can be in Kenya in a marginalized community, et cetera, or whatever, or I, I can just be, you know, in Nairobi investing in a Canadian property with my community in Nairobi, exactly. for an example. Yeah. <laughs> why, why is it, or like, you know, one person in Nairobi, one person in, you know, South Africa, one person in India, that is our group buy. <laughs> we don't need yeah. permission. It's completely, it's, the term is permissionless. Yeah. Trustless. I don't need to trust you either because right. a smart contract ensures that both sides of the deal are happening in escrow at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's all tracked on chain. And that's the future of credibility. In my opinion is your on chain credibility is going to be worth more than your in-person credibility might even be as we all move to more of yeah. a digital landscape. That's the trend that I see. Yeah, that's, that's crazy too. And it, it avoids a lot of, you know, needing to go to a notary and like all these little things. Cause with real estate, it's not even just the agent or just the bank. There are so many of these like hidden things that really make it a inaccessible, but also B, even if you do have the accessibility, like if you have access to funds, if you do live in whatever the U S Canada, whatever it may be, like it, it's just, it's just unattractive. I, I, I can't even think of a better word. It's just, it's not always the most attractive thing. And it is kind of like a place where if you are going to invest in real estate it's and you're going to invest in a single piece of it, you're going to need to have like a pretty, a pretty substantial investment ready in order to get involved in that. And it's not only the cost of the down payment. It's not only like the cost of the loan over whatever, 20, 25 years. It's also all these little ancillary costs, not to mention the actual maintenance of the property and all kinds of other things. Whereas like, I see this, this trend of just like fractional and, and also like now with web three and, and crypto and even like these NFT ideas, like I, I see that being a lot more accessible. So it's, it's really interesting to kind of see how that'll progress. Like I'm, I'm, I'm excited to to see how the, the younger generations are going to adopt that and, and how we'll see like a shift over time of like the way that we end up doing these transactions, not only in real estate, but like in general with other yeah, I believe You know, the future of syndicates and um, investment clubs is a DAO, DAO, decentralized autonomous organization, which is basically, uh, you know, a crypto term for, you know, a community that gets together, they vote on projects. Um, and it's based on, you know, how many tokens of that, community each person owns that gives them their voting rights and it's done in a i guess more equitable manner without all the Mm -hmm. i guess risk typically associated with an investment club um Mm -hmm. you know a lot of the fraud that we're seeing not just in crypto but in web 2 in uh major companies and corporations would be avoided if they used a DeFi platform and they had a good governance DAO behind it. Interesting. How do you see adoption increasing or like, I guess, awareness 
being raised about something like that? Do you think it'll just take time or do you think that there needs to be more of like a push? I think education um, and also like more critically speaking, onboarding. <laughs> yeah. More people need to be able to, you know, own uh, a token, need to be able to actually create a wallet easily and, you know, stake some Ethereum, for an example, you know, most people don't even know what staking means. What that means is just putting up some of your cash as liquidity to the liquidity pool. And then the pool pays you back interest as a result. So like, what are your thoughts on something like a platform such as Coinbase wallet, where <laughs> they make it a little bit easier? Like it's, I don't know if you would qualify it as like the passing the mom test, like the, the whole soccer mom <laughs> in terms yeah. of ease of use, but like, would you say that that's like kind of like your standard of you, you feel that it's accessible enough? Or do you think that there still needs to be like a further accessibility being given to the average person that doesn't really understand the technical nature of like wallets, for example? Yeah, I mean, I'll refer to, I guess, the most popular wallet, which is MetaMask wallet, mm -hmm. just because that's more applicable to most people. Most people own a MetaMask wallet. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to that wallet, yeah, there needs to be changes. And, we, and that's where Thread comes in. We have a username and password login. So it's very simple. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> and we have social logins. So it, nice. it makes it very easy for people to spin up a quick generated wallet for themselves. Okay, awesome. So they could essentially then use Thread. Like, would yeah. you create a MetaMask first and then you sign up to Thread? Or like, how would that process work? You just um, literally download the Thread app from your uh, iPhone app store. Okay. And coming to Android in a week and oh, you just sweet. sign up. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So I'm going to try this out. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's still in test pilot right now. It hasn't come out to the Apple app store yet. Oh, okay. It's not. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's still in the beta mode. Okay. So you're going to send me a link or something. I'll send you <laughs> a link after the pod. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So, um, maybe what I'll do then is you'll send me the link and I'll edit mm -hmm. it into this video and I'll do a little, oh, yeah, you can do a review. No problem. Yeah. I'll, I'll give a little, I'll give my, my unfiltered feedback. On yeah. All right. So as we can see, Kazi has sent me the invitation on test flight. So I'm going to go ahead and accept it and I'm going to install it. I'm going to open the app. It's finished downloading. And I have a note from the developer, which says to try installing an app. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. All right. So I'm just making my account on thread. So I've put in my email and I'm going to just make a password up. All right, perfect. So I'm in. So here I can see my Ethereum tokens. I can see my optimism tokens. And of course I don't have any because I literally just made this wallet a second ago. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to my apps and it's empty because I don't have any, but I'll go to discover and I'll see what kind of apps I want to go to. So as you can see here, we've got a little library. We've got Daylight, LaunchCaster, Third Web, SushiSwap, OpenSea, Magic Eden, so on and so forth. Daylight, just you can discover your wallet's addresses, abilities, mints, airdrops, unlocks, votes, and more. Okay, cool. So I think I'm just going to download OpenSea here.
So I'm gonna go to view, going to download it onto my wallet, and it now shows up in my apps. So you can see that I've got OpenSea here in my apps. Now when I click OpenSea, it pretty much functions exactly like how OpenSea is intended to work. So this is really cool because I can connect my wallet to OpenSea and use OpenSea right from a singular app, which is great. Now, of course, OpenSea has its own app, but there are other apps here. It's looking really good. It's still in beta, but I'm sure that these guys are going to be working on some really cool things. So great job so far. Very easy to use. Feels exactly like just using regular Apple apps. If it's anything better than like what the current process is to sign up to MetaMask, then like I'm sure you're going to be doing great. So it's a, it's yeah. kind of a low bar to be honest, because it's like already, <laughs> it's already, there's already such a barrier to just get these things going, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the barrier is that you have to learn a whole new language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, which uh, probably is still easier than learning English, just because like there's no real good rules with English. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had to do it. <laughs> what, learn English or? or yeah. You did? Yeah. How long ago um, was that? Like when I was a child. Uh, I'm an oh. immigrant from Bangladesh. And uh, we landed first in Montreal. So I learned French first. And, yeah. Okay. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, it was actually, it was similar, a little bit similar with my family. Just um, they, this was like quite a while before I was born though. But they came to Montreal too because they had, family there but my dad already spoke french because he's from this like french colony in india and yeah so kind of similar but then i think they also already knew english if i'm not mistaken <laughs> yeah okay sick so yeah i learned no, english I... from uh watching uh sailor moon reruns <laughs> seriously that's hilarious yeah seriously my parents would leave me in the house they're just like okay watch tv don't answer the door you're good to go buddy <laughs> that's amazing Honestly, for kids, though, I I really do feel like watching cartoons is the way to go. I mean, when <laughs> uh, when my dad took me to India for like a month, I pretty much could understand Hindi, like just like the basic child like stuff, like nothing yeah. like adult conversation level. But I could understand Hindi pretty good from like a month of watching Scooby-Doo. <laughs> so that was pretty much my... Uh, I guess like that was how I, I learned. I, I still don't speak very well, but I can understand pretty good. And I attribute most of that to like Scooby-Doo. So <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, you know, actually like it would be really interesting. Like this is, this is kind of out there. All right. So you can call me out if this is like too far, but it would be very cool to see how, crypto or web three could be interrelated with like TV subscriptions or movies. Like, you know how in today, like there's marketplaces for that, right? We've got like Disney plus or like, I don't know, whatever Netflix, all these other different streaming options. I'd be really curious to know how, like, or if there's even a plan for that. Cause like that could be a very cool, a very cool thing. I think. Yeah. It'd be very cool. It's just, um, it's very difficult right now. Just mm -hmm. in the current state of the way, um, like blockchain, like gas fees work. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like the processing power behind it for that to be a reality at this moment. But in the future, as blockchains get more efficient, they can handle 
more computations for block. Like, yeah, I mean, it could be possible, definitely. You could see some use cases there. Cool. Because, okay, here's my train of thought. Because I know that there's a lot of obstacles right now in just being able, like the accessibility is there's a lot of limitations. Like, for example, people will use a VPN to go to like the American Netflix and things like that, right? Yeah. So if it was decentralized, that means that anyone anywhere could watch pretty much anything as mm-hmm. long as it's not illegal, obviously. But like if it's just movies and TV and and what have you, or maybe even like, I don't know, people also pay for TV subscriptions. And I know that, you know, a lot of people uh, find that very unaffordable. So I, I wonder if there's like a, a good use case there, maybe not necessarily today, but just at some point in time. I think a really cool use case would be along the same kind of thought, which is um, internet access. Mm, um, Yeah. You know, to uh, encrypt your access to the internet. Um, And like, for an example, every time you access the internet, it's as if, you know, there's some sort of connection to the blockchain to allow for that access and to anonymize your access point. It would give... um, you know, a lot of governments kind of like a run for their money <laughs> just because they wouldn't be able to um, not only not censor their population, but mm. also never be able to sway opinions <laughs> with right. propaganda. Yeah. Right. Ooh, they wouldn't okay. be able to target propaganda to their population, right? <laughs> We're getting a little spicy now. <laughs> spicy, Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so so that's actually that's really really interesting because I think, like, yeah, that that just brings us to a really interesting place on kind of like the subject of of just like censorship and kind of like just creating this level platform where everyone can access everything, right? Which is I think generally the idea behind the internet, but it doesn't always end up that way. Yeah, yeah, um, but. Clearly, there's a demand from many people for this level of anonymity for a decentralized future to exist. It's the it's what the internet was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then you know we got like a lot of factors that kind of got in the way of that. I think, but yeah, there's it's definitely like very pay to play and there's a lot of like influence from, you know, large corporations, governments, um, you know, SEO people that are trying to get ranked to the top of like Google, for example, or any other search engines. There's a lot of things that affect the way that we take in the information or the accessibility of information. It's, I think it could benefit from being decentralized for sure. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And on the, on the subject, cause we went into, movies and tv and we went into internet so like in that telecom space of <laughs> connecting that within like web3 like how, what do you think about phones or like a phone line being decentralized like how how would that work do you think that there's a use case for that yeah i think it'd be extremely powerful and um that's where we're heading um with web3 and you know i can't speak much on it but yeah with phones there's definitely a huge demand for a decentralized platform for phones because ultimately where do we act like where do consumers engage 
with the most, it's really their phones. Mm -hmm. um, and a phone that can access the blockchain through the internet connection is powerful. It's essentially you have a moving device that's everywhere with you that can access decentralized apps. And that's where Thread comes into play. We're a app store protocol, so we can plug into just about any decentralized powered phone. And yeah, it's a, it's a powerful mover for onboarding people as well. Cool. Really love how we brought that full circle. <laughs> but just for anyone that might be listening, that's, you know, very new to this stuff. What is a like decentralized, what's the difference between just like a phone and like a decentralized phone? Or I can't remember exactly how you described it. Yeah. So it's just uh, another phone that has, for an example, Polygon, they're coming out with their own phone and, um, you know, it's, it's pretty much their own stack built on Android. Okay. And it can access the Polygon blockchain um, versus a regular phone that cannot um, access the Polygon blockchain natively. It has, it, uh, regular phones have to use, for an example, Thread for accessing all of their different apps in one place and connecting the wallet to, or a DAP would just literally make their own app and on their apps on the app store and they would have to create all the infrastructure back in themselves to connect to the blockchain from their end. Okay. Got it. So basically it's like, instead of an iPhone or a Samsung phone, we'd have like a polygon phone and it's mm -hmm. like built on top of Android. So it looks pretty much the same as like another Android phone, but it would just be like polygon with web three apps instead of web two apps. Yeah. To exactly. get that right. Yeah. Okay, sweet. That connects right, to the well, Polygon blockchain, and it's a great platform to launch Polygon apps and uh, bring more adoption. And it, it would help developers to have a real piece of hardware that they're always moving around with that they can test their apps, their future Polygon apps on um, immediately. Awesome. Very cool stuff, man. Um, I, I really like how we kind of connected that to like other, we, we basically went from talking about just thread and like your story, your guys' history, etc. We went, we talked about other applications in the space and then we came back to like phones, which also tied back into thread, which is great. <laughs> I love the track there. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that kind of brings us full circle. So I guess what I'll ask then is, you know, is there anything else that you, that you want to cover that you think that we like any valuable points that we didn't talk about yet that you'd want to otherwise? I think, um, you know, your, your podcast covers a lot on SaaS and software entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And I want to say for everyone listening, you know, the number one thing you can do to grow your software company, your SaaS company is to iterate, um, and mm -hmm. listen to your customers and don't be afraid to adapt. And just because you've raised funding, for an example, and that you've hired employees, don't be afraid to change the course of your business if you need to, you know, like don't tie your ego to your business. Tie, listen to the market and, you know, build your product accordingly. It's the best advice I can give you, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a really, 
That's a really strong one. And I like that you've not only given that advice to people, but you also took that advice yourself. Because like you mentioned, you guys had come up with something and you thought it was really good, but then you still kind of push it a little bit further and you didn't get to attach your ego and your idea. And even like, I'm having this visualization of you like putting up all these sticky notes everywhere. being like, I found the one idea, but you still didn't let yourself get overly attached to that one sticky note and be like this, like we have to stick with this idea because like my ego is telling me to keep sticking with it. You know, that's right. And you know, it's painful at first, but it must be done as you know, that's your duty as a CEO, as a business leader, to make the hard decisions, to step mm-hmm. away from ego. You know, it doesn't matter what literally anyone else can think of you. What matters is the response from the market to your product or service, whether it fills a need, whether it creates impact. 100%. Couldn't have said it better myself, my friend. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the the thing too is that even if like, let's say today, today, like these, the, there's, you know, market product fit. I, I call it in that order for a reason, but okay. we'll get into that another time. Cause that's, <laughs> that's another explanation. But you know, if, if your product is fitting with the market at a certain point in time, it doesn't mean that it's going to be like that forever. It doesn't mean that you don't need to constantly adjust and make changes as needed. And so like, that's another, that's another thing as well right? It's not just like, yeah, like, you know, we got here, but if like things are always changing, even like I'd say with the way that things are today, you know, like a lot of people right now in general in all kinds of different markets across the board are now more in scarcity, fear. They're acting out of like the looming recession and what those implications might look like for them. And they're not really like thinking about growth and prosperity and like success. Like it's, it's a different, kind of like the the messaging that you would use to talk to people is going to be a lot different than based on the, those environmental factors. And in some cases, like there's entire products that might be completely like wiped out because people are not resonating with that type of messaging anymore. Absolutely. You're 100% correct. Messaging is key. Yeah, your messaging has to resonate with your audience and with the current market conditions because no one will even give your product a shot if the message doesn't resonate, right? <laughs> it could fill their needs, but if the message doesn't get through, then they won't even try it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I do like in my experience working with a lot of these people, a lot of the times this is something that they struggle with a lot is kind of figuring out what their messaging is. And sometimes it's that they just don't know like what to do or what to say or how to say it. Like they don't really have a, brand voice per se. So, and I think that you're pretty good at that because from what I've seen with, you know, the stuff that you've posted and even just your general track record, like it seems like you're, you've done a pretty good job with that. So what would you maybe offer to somebody else who is just not very good at this? Say be better at understanding people at the core to all of this, to everything business It's understanding the other side, understanding people, because money is found in other people's pockets. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, you need to be able to communicate value to strangers for them to actually ascertain value from your product in the first place. 
Mm. So the key takeaway here is understand people better, learn psychology, pick up a fucking book, you know, um, speak to more people. Like they don't even have to necessarily be your ideal customer, mm-hmm. but they just have to be a potential customer. Just speak to them, talk to mm-hmm. them, understand their deepest fears behind their pain point that's relevant to your product. Maybe um, understand what makes them tick, understand their hopes, their dreams. Cause at the end of the day, that's why we do what we do to make people's lives easier so that they can gain more value from your product so that they can open up their wallets and pay you for that value because you make their life easier. You're adding impact. You're just making their day a lot better than it was yesterday. That's the way I see it. Beautiful. <laughs> we need a little a little piano riff in here. Just to like that was great. Thank you, brother. That was that was very powerful. I think that anybody that may be struggling with their messaging or kind of like in those initial stages where they're trying to go to market and figure out like how can I talk to people. I think they really need to take that advice to heart and really just sit, maybe go find a book, maybe go talk to people, whatever it is that they need to do to figure it out. But I think that there's some super actionable steps there. So hopefully, you know, anybody that is in that position will find that specific piece of advice very useful. I know that it is based on a lot of people that I talk to. So um, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Yeah, it's really easy to get into tunnel vision when you're a founder. It's really easy to just be in your cave and just build away and chip away at a product. But you have to talk to your customers. You have to talk to people, you know, Um, you have to genuinely just see them be. There's a reason why, for an example, um, I have my desk facing the street. (laughs) Um, I feel that personally, I can relate to people better when I can see them. Just on the street, walking by, like walking and going about their daily lives. I feel like I can connect to the everyday person better. And because at the end of the day, the everyday person is my client. The everyday person is my customer. Every person on the street, I have a consumer facing product. So every single person can be my client technically. Right. (laughs) And that's my goal. My goal is to onboard every fucking living, breathing human being on the planet to my product. Right. You know? So I have to understand them. So I have my desk facing the street and I have a big window so I can see people walking through the street, what they wear, how they communicate with them, with one another, um, just standing around eating a sandwich. I'll like look at people. <laughs> I'll people watch, <laughs> you know, I, I go to the mall sometimes for no reason. You know, Nick makes fun of me sometimes like, oh, you're always at the mall. <laughs> I'm not always at the mall, Nick. Okay? Not always at the mall. Once a week, I'll go to the mall because it's like a block away from my house. (laughs) And I'll just sit there listening to the violinist playing the violin. And I'll just like vibe with the energy of the people around me because it helps me be more relatable to people. (laughs) Yeah, no, I definitely feel that, man. And listen, to put this into context, okay, the reason I made fun of you is because I met you in the mall. It's the only (laughs) place I know you from. (laughs) And then I just saw I saw a story of you also at the mall. So I'm like, this guy's always there. <laughs> but it's not a hate. It's not a hate thing because I know you're actually doing 
really good shit and you're a hard worker and like things are like it's it's not a it's not a roast okay it's it's just like <laughs> i just need to add some context because i don't want to just be like oh that's so mean <laughs> makes a bully <laughs> yeah. no but um no i i like that man i really like that so you know if you're somebody that's out there that's targeting restaurant owners then like maybe go to a restaurant like every week or a couple times a week and sit down and like just see what's going on in the environment. You know, you may not actually see, physically see the owner because they're probably in the back, but just to help you get a relatability to the type of environment that they're in, like that can be very useful for you, right? Or even same thing with like pretty much whatever type of customer it is that you have. A lot of these uh, founders that I work with are B2B, but so, you know, typically you can access their environments, especially if they have a physical location. Um, so, you know, just like get out there and get into the shoes of the person that you're trying to target whether that be physically or getting them on a call and talking to them and working through some of those things, like you'd mentioned, like their fears and their challenges on a day-to-day -day basis. What really makes them happy? Like what, why are they even in this business in the first place? What problems are they looking to solve and how are they really going to get there? Like there's all kinds of questions that you really need to answer. And those are the core pillars of what you need in order to make your messaging work. And if you don't have those, then, and, and you don't know how to talk to people, then how are you going to expect? to solve your messaging. And a great tip, by the way, to get a very candid view of a B2B business owner's um, problem and the solution they really need is to pay for one of their services. Really step into their establishment, pay for one of their services. If it's a restaurant, go in there, have dinner. Go, like Nick said, go there once a week. And then you know what you do? Tip the chef and then ask the chef a few questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I've, I've heard that hack a lot, even just for like lifestyle hack, you know, like if you want to go, uh, if you want to go get a seat in any restaurant, right, what you'll do is you'll, uh, you'll tip like a 100 bucks, which is like a very generous tip. But the thing is that that manager or that owner or whoever you're speaking with at that restaurant, like, you can ask to speak with them, you can give them the tip directly. And they're always going to remember you like if you if you're in town, they will never forget you because they, this is not something that happens very often to them. And now you have this relationship. A lot of the times you'll get the phone number of that person. And if you need something, right. It, or in this case, if you are, if you have a, a B2B SaaS, like let's say that's targets restaurants, right. You now have either the phone number of the manager or the owner, or whoever that you spoke with and gave the tip directly to like most, they'd be willing to help you out. If, if you need a few questions answered, they're going to give it to you. Like they'll be very open and forthcoming with you. You can probably hop on the phone with them for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Uh, they'd be, they'd be super happy to do that for you, especially if you are like a regular and they see your face and like, they have an experience with you like that. So, exactly. And that comes back to providing value upfront. And that's actually how we landed our biggest partnership, you know, to date, that was by providing value upfront. We gave them a deal before we even went on the meeting with them. <laughs> We're like, Hey, we're going to be bringing these guys with us. It's a package deal here. Whether we, you commit to working with us or not here, <laughs> you know, this is, uh, this is how you do business is value upfront. If you do value, if you have a value upfront philosophy, like I do and like Nick does, then you're going to do a lot better than you otherwise would have. You're going to go a lot further with people because goes back to what we said earlier. Everything comes down to people. All business is a people business. People 
have all the value that you could possibly want or need, people will take care of you if you take care of people. It's just that simple. 100%. I love that, man. Uh, it's so true. I mean, I think a lot of the times we make these labels, you know, like B2B and B2C and like whatever. But at the end of the day, like, what is it? It's person to person. It's P to P. You know, that? so so that's that's really what it is. I mean, at the end of the day, when you really boil it down to its simplest form, like even if you're wearing a suit and tie, which like most like 99% of people in offices these days are not even that dressy, right? Like a lot of the times they do just kind of have like the appearance of a regular person. But like it, it really is just like a person communicating with another person. And if you want that person to do something, whether it be like sign up, book a demo, sign up for a trial, answer a few questions, whatever you're looking for someone, like whatever you're, it is that you're looking for them to do, the best way to get them to take that action is to give them something first, right? And whether that's like, hey, let me, let me do something for you that you'd find valuable or like, let me, give, let me point out something to you that you didn't even notice that's maybe costing you money, right? Like when you, when you lead with value, like you kind of, you trigger that law of reciprocity where somebody feels like, well, you've given me something valuable. Now let me return the favor. That's right. Cool, man. So we've been shooting the shit for like an hour now, which is pretty cool. Cause I feel like we're just getting warmed up. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I know. It's because we're on such a great vibe together. We really are. I think that we should do another one. Like, I think we should. Uh, why not? I'm we down. Should... Let's schedule it. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. So, Kazi, thank you so much for coming on here today. I think you shared a lot of valuable insights that people, whether they're simply in the SaaS space, they're looking to get into Web3, they're curious about Web3 or they're in Web3, I think like people will find this valuable regardless. I'm glad to have uh, the privilege of having you on here and being able to speak with you about those things and pleasure to have you regardless. Um, let's connect again soon. Absolutely. It's been an honor. Hope everyone took away tremendous value from this podcast. I know I did just from being in Nick's presence. <laughs> and uh, make hope me blush. have a great night. <laughs> Sweet man, thank you so much again. Uh, let's let's chat again soon and uh, have a great rest of your day, man. For sure. Everyone go to threadapps.com. T-H-R-E-D-A-P-P-S.com. That's my plug. Beautiful. Okay, we love the promo. Thank you so much for taking time to tune in today. If you like this podcast, please make sure to follow to ensure that you don't miss out on any future episodes. Thank you so much and we'll see you in the next one.